You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpus on Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. This week we have Nina Legetti from the band Kills Birds. Now, this episode was done a while back. I believe it was February or March. I can't quite remember. It must have been March because it was uh, right as South by Southwest got canceled. So they were in a pretty dark spot. Uh, a lot of bands, that's their big break is South by Southwest. Um, so this was before any of the big tours got canceled. Um, it was just South by Southwest. That was kind of the catalyst for all that coming down. Um, and so they literally had found out right before this interview. Um, so we were in a dark spot for a minute, and uh, we pulled out of it and had a good chat. And um, it's just that, you know, that bummer of getting, you know, like a big break possibly canceled is uh is heartbreaking so uh but nina's story is fantastic and there's a time in in the the chat where um things get pretty serious like with her her upbringing and what her what her father had to do to get them out of out of uh bosnia and uh, it's just it's you'll have to hear for yourself but uh it was a great chat and i'm sorry i waited this long to put it out uh, but I wanted to wait for the right time and also had a bunch of stuff that was time sensitive as well to do in the meantime. Um, but big thanks to Nina for coming on. Kills Birds is an amazing band. Go check them out right now if you haven't already. 
Um, we talk about uh, a little bit about the record and how they recorded it. Um, it's kind of an unconventional way as far as the timeline. So uh, anyways, I'll let you guys listen to all that. But I'm just stoked to have you guys back week after week. I know I say it all the time, uh, but this this was a great conversation. So go check out Kills Birds, um, and let's get some business out of the way. So peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website. You can uh, hit hit me up uh, through there, or you can hit me up on email, peerpleasurepod at gmail.com. Um, and, you know, any kind of, you know, guest suggestions, questions, comments. Um, I've been getting a lot of email lately, which has been awesome, but also it takes me a little while to get back, but I always do. So if you've emailed me in the last uh, two weeks, I will get back to you very shortly. Um, things have just been crazy. Um, I lost a very dear friend of mine last week, uh, Michael Wolfson. Died suddenly of a heart attack, moving some furniture in his storage unit. Mike, uh, if you guys have heard me talk before about the uh, when I was living at the club I was working security at in between tours, that was Mike. That was his club. He let me live there for free for two and a half years. Uh, paid for the transmission in our van to go record our record. Our transmission went out right before we were supposed to go down to L.A. and record. He paid for that. Um you know, and oh, you guys can work some shows and pay it off. He he paid us for all the shows we worked after that. It was it was something he did out of the goodness of his heart. He gave us a place to me, literally a place to live and food in my stomach for years. Um, countless meals, countless everything, and I was absolutely crushed to hear that he had passed and passed so suddenly. And um, his wife was with him. Uh, she said he went very quickly. And uh, we're going to do the memorial service the best we can at a distance next week. But I have been in just a dark place this week, um, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, but just such a big part of my life uh, gone. And, uh, I mean, I'll always have the memories, and I'm not going to share a bunch on here because you guys may or may not have known him. But just know Michael Wolfson was a, a great man. And uh, if you knew him, my heart goes out to you as well. Um and the rest of you, for that matter, I, my heart goes out to you that you never met him. Um, but a good person and 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 really pivotal uh, pers- person in my life. If you think back of the, you know, five or ten people that really had a huge impact for the rest of your life on you, um, he's one of them. So losing my dad in September, uh, Mike, this month, uh, just two big whammers that just, oh, fuck. Um, but, you know, I... I keep pushing forward and that's the best you can do. And that's what they would want you to do. And, and, uh, but I just want to take a second and, uh, you know, just let you guys know, uh, how good of a person he was and, uh, I'll miss him forever. Um, another sad note, uh, well, not sad note, but another note that, uh, sad news, uh, John Clardy from Terra Mellos. He's been on the show. You guys email me so much after he came on the show. He's one of my favorite guests. One of my favorite human beings uh, has just come out and uh, let everyone know that he's been battling cancer since February. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And and John is a wonderful person. Uh, I cannot say enough good things about John. Uh, just his talent as a musician, his friendship, uh, just a sweet, sweet guy. And uh, he's fighting something hard right now. He's fighting lymphoma, and he's doing, been doing chemo. He has a GoFundMe page up. Uh, I'm I'm putting that up as the link on the Instagram uh, for the show. 
So if you know John Clardy, are a fan of Terra Melos, or just have the means, please go to my Instagram, click on the link in the bio, and donate to John because he is fighting hard and he's going to beat this thing. And uh, I'm sending John, John, you're, I know you're listening. Um, I'm sending you all the love, buddy. I know uh, I reached out before, and and uh, but yeah, sending you all the love in the world and the healing vibes and uh, you know everything we can. Uh, we're pulling for you, buddy. So let's get through this thing. Um, much love to John and the rest of the Terramellos family and uh, to all you guys. Thank you so much for supporting what we support and uh, fighting the good fight every day uh, and spending your time with me. Okay, guys. Well, I am going to get into this episode. This is a long intro, but it's stuff that needed to be said. And uh, let's get into it. All right. My conversation with Nina Legetti from Kills Birds. say down there for one so i can't swear or anything else because the kids are playing upstairs and anytime anyone coughs or moves it's like you gotta do it all over amplified again. yeah yeah i don't know uh, are you from la no i'm from bosnia from i bosnia. was born in bosnia yeah and okay. then i when the war started my family and i escaped i was a year and a half at the time to canada so i grew up uh, in Windsor, Ontario, which is on the border of Detroit, Michigan. So mm-hmm. you can see downtown Detroit, like, you know, pretty much from my house. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. The reason I was asking you is because, like, really old houses, everything, like, there's all this crazy ductwork, and you can hear, I mean, you can hear up on the third floor of a house, like, from the basement, well, second floor, but from right, the basement, right, right. you can hear everything in it. So I, I was trying to put it in context because it's, uh, the house is a hundred and something years old. But, uh, Growing up in, in when did so when how old were you when the war started then? Well, I was a year and change when the war started. Okay, so you don't have much memory of that. No, I don't. My memories of Bosnia are when I was coming back as a kid, like because mm-hmm. my grandparents were still there, and my cousins, and you know my aunt and uncle at the time were there. Um, so we would go back pretty frequently, like you know once every other year for a month or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up, you know, with Bosnia, be- Bosnian being my first language as well as English. Oh, you know, okay. So interesting. So 
you grew up in Canada then, or did you move? When did you move to America? I moved to America when I was 18 years old, so 10 years ago. Okay, yeah. so you grew up in Canada. Tell me about growing up in Canada. That's, uh, I mean, I know it's not super exciting, but it kind of formulates where you are now. You know what I mean? Like getting into music and and finding finding your artistic flair. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, I grew up in Windsor, which uh, Stephen Colbert he calls it the asshole of the world in one of his books. <laughs> and I think that, you know, there is some merit to that. The people are really nice, but there's a, you know, a high unemployment rate. At the time that I was growing up there, you, you couldn't find much culturally. Now it's different. Mm. Now, you know, the city's growing. So, you know, I grew up pretty sheltered, like in, you know, just this, a suburb just outside of Windsor, which again, yeah. doesn't mean much because it's 200,000 people, that entire city. So, um, but I got into the punk scene when I was 15, 16, and that was pretty gnarly. So that's probably like my formative years would have been like when I was in that punk scene. How did how did you get into the punk scene? Just to, like what turned you on to it? What made you excited about it? Like what 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 led to that? I want to talk about you. See, you grew up sheltered. Were you, was your family religious or, or just very protective? No, they were neither. They were actually, you know, they've always been supportive in everything that I do, but we were a close-knit family, I think, particularly me and my mom and my dad, because there's that bond formed when you have that type of a situation where you're escaping a war. You know, my first memories of them growing up in Windsor was watching them watch the news and seeing Bosnia getting blown up. This was like towards the mm -hmm. end of the Civil War, you know, so you have that connection with your parents. You stay close to them. You trust them more than you trust anybody. And, you know, I was a weird kid I didn't have that many friends um, I was bullied a lot you know so it seemed a lot easier for me to stay close to my family than it was to kind of venture outside and explore things mm -hmm. and I had nobody really to show me music either so like I you know I discovered Nirvana which is my favorite band mm -hmm. you know when I was 13 because I was watching American Idol and some guy covered uh, Jeremy by Pearl Jam and I was like that sounds cool so I look up Jeremy and then I figure out that Nirvana exists and that's like when my whole world changes uh -huh. but I'm like I don't know 13 14 at the time so that's pretty sure. late like sure. it's a pretty late you know that's wild we were just talking the, the podcast I just did here the other day in this seat uh, was with Phil from Caspian oh, and cool. we talked Pearl Jam for a really long time had no idea the connection there but it was it was it was funny now uh, we're here like a couple weeks later talking about Pearl Jam but yeah. uh, so why were you bullied so much was it just the normal stuff like or were you just very super introverted or just it was it because you were from another country or or I mean of course they didn't even know at the time probably because you came over when you were so young you know and I really have no idea um I was probably annoying a little bit because I asked a lot of questions and I was very opinionated and um, I don't know, maybe kids didn't like me. Uh, it got really bad in high school, actually. I had a, um, you know, a situation in high school with, uh, you know, um, I want to be able to say it, but I've never really said it out loud. But I, I had like a teacher in high school that was very, you know, terrible as well, you know, that was... Um, you know, wrecked some of the formative years of my, you know, teenage life. A teacher? Yeah. And I couldn't really figure out, like, what it was about me that 
you know, made me predisposed to, you know, being in these kinds of situations. But yeah, I don't know. You're talking inappropriate situations with the teacher. Yeah, inappropriate, like emotionally, you know, physically, those kinds of things where you like, you know, and you're growing up, you're a 15 year old kid who loves music and who loves at the time I loved acting, you know, and you have this teacher that's kind of exploiting your passions, you know, or grooming you in a certain way, you Mm -hmm. know, and so I struggled with that a lot. um, Yeah, as a kid. So that's also really another thing that contributed to me getting into punk music because I got into Nirvana and it was much to that professor's dismay because he could feel, I guess he was losing control of this like moldable student that I was because mm-hmm. I didn't really have opinions of my own really. But then I got into punk music even more because, you know, I was looking up what kind of music Kurt Cobain listened to, mm-hmm. you know, that's always how it goes. Right. So then you discover like, Black Flag and the Sex Pistols and Minor mm-hmm. Thread and all of these things and my like everything turned upside down for me at that point and I started rebelling for the first time against you know these kinds of situations that I was mm-hmm. dealing with and ultimately like that experience made me who I am today and um, it's funny that's actually like a line of in one of our new songs <laughs> which is kind of about this whole thing mm-hmm. um, yeah so wow it makes you think about like what yeah that that's i hear that a lot where people turn it on themselves like what was i doing to bring this on kind of thing and it's so fucked up because it's yeah i can't even imagine i'm really sorry um oh no it's okay but you've discovered some really cool stuff from from these experiences and of course getting into have you have you got you guys are you going south from here? Are you guys, did you play Seattle already? We did. We played it last night. Where yeah. did you play in Seattle? Chop Suey. Chop Suey. Okay. Have you ever been to Kurt Cobain's house? <laughs> uh, I think once I drove by it years ago. Yeah. It's a weird play. I finally went and it's like heavy. Like there, there's those benches out front in that little park and people are still leaving records and wow. memorials this many years later. And it's awesome to see how much that changed you too because you're you're probably what 10 years younger than you're 28 yeah i'm 28 okay yeah. i'm 37 almost 38 and so kurt died when i was in middle school and i didn't even know nirvana yet and that's how i discovered nirvana was uh, a girl came into and was like writing kurt on everything i'm like what's going on she's like he's dead he's dead i was like who and that's how i discovered nirvana and it blew the doors off you know and yeah. it was still fresh but it's awesome to see how much that music still inspires people that, you know, 10 years later, you know, than when I was, so that's impressive. But then I guess the reason I asked you to see his house, because you kind of sit there on those benches and you just kind of think about like, you know, how many times did he drive home down this road, you know, like in a cab or whatever, you know, and, and stewing around in this house and, and, you know, what came out of it and stuff. Cause someone who's that influential it's kind of you can still feel that energy it seems like that's interesting that many years later and just to see people still memorializing the place even though it's been owned by this little family for since after he died for they just sold it i think like it was up for sale you could actually go tour it they oh, wouldn't put the address but everyone macabre. knew whose house it was yeah. yeah um you know actually i saw you know I guess, what is it, Nirvana play a few weeks ago, but with Dave Grohl, Chris mm-hmm. Selleck, uh, Pat, and uh, yeah. Beck was playing with St. Vincent, and it was mm-hmm. incredible, you know, and even then, like, in the audience, like, 
you can see like how people are still responding to that music in such an emotional way. Mm-hmm. You know, I was with somebody who was, you know, she had like tears streaming down her face because she just couldn't believe that she was experiencing that. Like it meant so much to her. Yeah. It meant so much to all of us, but it's really interesting that somebody's legacy can still have that impact, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah. Well, there was uh, Chris Novoselic has a new band called Giants in the Trees. They actually played here a little bit ago. Um, they're a really interesting band, but I actually like went to Astoria to see them at some bar. And I was standing there and watching the opening band, and my buddy like elbows me and just goes, hey, like this. And I turn around, and I'm 6'5", I'm and I still had to look up, and there he is. I was like, oh, shit. Like, totally embarrassing. Like, yeah. oh, my God. And, uh, yeah, so I had to pester him for a picture afterwards. And he always just kind of puts a hand up and waves. It's really weird. And so my buddy took the picture and it was a live picture or whatever it is. So you put your phone, your thumb on it. So you see him like all pissed off and then just smile and go Hi, in the picture. And that's what it froze on. Oh, that's funny. Totally ridiculous and weird. Yeah, he's but. really nice. Actually, I I got really I was really fortunate to meet him at that show. Really? And he speaks Croatian, which is mm-hmm. really the same language as Bosnian, give or take the politics of mm-hmm. the situation. We actually spoke in Croatian slash Bosnian for quite a few minutes and it was like a really interesting experience That's like awesome. it, he was so nice yeah I was so lucky it's very lucky that that happened yeah wow yeah that's wild it was cool yeah well this is awesome stuff yeah so <laughs> wow so much cool stuff right off the bat <laughs> well tell me tell me some like so what were some of the the like punk influences that you got into when you did discover punk music you discovered Pearl Jam in Nirvana and then you started going through like was it straight to Black Flag and and or were you like when you're digging through Kurt's catalog of, of I mean he's into what Daniel Johnston and Flipper and and uh, the Raincoats um, like what was it that really grabbed you and pulled you into to punk music well I heard the Sex Pistols Anarchy in the UK and like a you know the dumb 16 year old I was at the time or 15 year old I was at the time I wrote Anarchy in the UK on the walls of my bedroom like immediately after hearing it because uh-huh. I was like oh my god the revolution is here <laughs> this is the revolution <laughs> and after that it was just like you know you branches it's like okay so you discover the clash and then mm-hmm. you discover the exploited and um sham 69 and then you go into the misfits mm-hmm. and then you go into DRI which was like a, one of my favorite bands yeah. as a teenager like I love that band, you know, so, you know, really just kind of flourished from there. And then I became like really into thrash metal as well, like Mm -hmm. um, early Slayer and early Metallica. Okay. Um, And so, yeah, that's kind of how it really sort of took off. And then also Charles Bronson, those kinds of Mm -hmm. like underground bands as well. Like Mm -hmm. you start like I started hanging out in the punk scene in Windsor. Yeah. So like I very quickly became friends with like kids who have been living that life for like years Mm -hmm. so they were really the ones that were kind of showing me music that i had never heard of before um which i wouldn't get from other people like Mm -hmm. bands like mischief brew that i would have never you know discovered if it wasn't for my friend who had been like searching for those bands for years and discovered them that way you know Mm -hmm. so that was really exciting for me and then we would go to detroit every weekend to go see punk shows Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like what I kept doing. Even when I moved to New York, I was going to punk shows. Okay. You know, most of the time. Yeah. Like the, what's Detroit? The Shelter and uh, the Magic Stick. The Magic and, Stick, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I toured for a long time, and now so we we love playing Detroit. The Magic Stick was awesome to play. It's got that tiny green room right behind the stage, oh, and like really? the the me was was it the Magic Stick? Yeah, the Magic Stick right off the stage. There's like this tiny little like box that everyone has to fit into because it's your only place you can go. If the show's sold out, you can't really pack through the crowd. Like you got to just like kind of sit back in this little area. It was always fun because it made everyone hang out. You know, all the yeah. bands on tour, like it all made everyone get together, which was awesome. But yeah. you said you said that there was some crazy shit that went down that growing up in that punk scene. Like, I mean, it, it, I've been out, not out of the punk scene. Like, I was in the, I'm from Alaska. So like I was in the punk scene uh, in Alaska growing up, which was kind of whatever we made it be. You know, it wasn't something we really came into as like we just kind of started going and, and started starting bands and started uh getting record stores to carry you know punk records that we wanted because it was before the internet so we had to say hey can you get we'll buy these records we get them in here you know or do you have this do you have that and looking at album covers and finding what looked cool you know like yeah. and, and uh so yeah it, it was it was way different than than i'm sure your experience was but i mean was yeah. it just cr like just crazy energy and and i mean uh we had a lot of violence in our punk scene. It was kind of sketchy, huh. just because it was just a lot of transient people. Like it was, they weren't. They were into punk for a couple weeks, and they just wanted to get drunk and fight people. You know, it was just a lot of jocks kind of coming. To, oh, where's the show tonight? Blah 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 blah. It never kind of materialized in anything solid. I guess is what I'm saying. But you came into one that was somewhat established, and people were kind of taking you through and showing you everything, as you were saying. Yeah, I think, you know, I have to credit my friends when I was, you know, growing up in Windsor because they were the first group of kids that really kind of, you know, let me into their world. I always felt like I didn't really belong anywhere. And then, you know, I, you know, I felt for the first time that I did. But at the same time, like Windsor was a tough place, especially, you know, for some of the kids that I knew. There was like a lot of anger and frustration mm -hmm. because, you know, a lot of them were growing up without family, without parents, with no mom or dad. You know, a lot of them are growing up with like drug addicted family members. Um, a lot of them drop out of school, you know, by the time they're 15, 16 years old. And then like they have nobody really there to support them. And some of them are homeless and some of them mm -hmm. are already like have gone to rehab, like have been addicted to drugs, you know, by the time they're 14, 15, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and I never had that. I was fortunate enough that I had a family that really like, you know, supported me. And a lot of them didn't have that luxury. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's what, what I mean when I say it was a crazy time because it was just like a lot of people that I cared about very deeply going through the most difficult period of their lives when being, you know, that age it shouldn't be that difficult mm -hmm. you know but i will say that you know i have a few friends there that have really like stepped it up and like made a life for themselves and now they have like touring bands and they're doing their own thing and mm -hmm. i'm like extremely proud to see you know what they've done you know with their work and their art whereas like i think in a lot of situations people would search for excuses to just give up and mm -hmm. go down the same road that their parents went down you know sure sure how did your parents handle the rebellion side of, of you being in the punk scene? And, and uh, did, did, do they like that music? I mean, that can't stand it. No, they don't like it. They didn't get it at all. But my mom would still pick me up at like three o'clock in the morning She'd from like, house go to parties. Shows and come pick you, or, or, yeah, OK. She would. She would pick me up. She would take my friends like home when they were drunk. <laughs> like she was just like, whatever I need to do to like protect her and like have yeah. her go through this thing. This is what she's going to do. Of course, she thought it was going to be a phase and it's not. It's, mm -hmm. you know, 
what I've become. But, yeah. you know, now my parents are really stoked. You know, they're really stoked about Kills Birds and everything. Yeah. That's amazing. I was, yeah, I was always curious about how the parents handle it. Yeah. yeah. My dad used to snap my CDs in half if he didn't like them. And, oh, my and God. He was not like a, a disciplinarian. He was just very like, I w- this was like, uh, like anti-flag records and Dr. Dre records with like a big pot leaf on it or whatever. And he's like, my son's not listening to this and snap. Oh, I don't wow. know how many times I bought those records. <laughs> you know, I used to listen to sex and violence by the exploited when mm-hmm. my dad would drive me to school and I'd turn it up all the way in the car and just like stare at the window to see if he would react <laughs> to the two, like the sex and violence part of the song. And I'm just mm-hmm. like waiting for him to say something so I can like explode on him and be like, you don't understand. You understand me. Fuck you, dad. <laughs> but he knew. So he like never, said anything he just like drove his car it was like whatever yeah. well <laughs> so. your parents have been through some shit i mean they've been through some crazy stuff over in bosnia like i couldn't imagine how i would the lens i would look at life through after having to go through something like that like to abandon like not abandon but run away escape from a country that you grew up in you know the the toll i think that's something in america we haven't experienced necessarily in, in our time to where your whole world just it, like you have to get out and then looking at everything else raising a child through that glass you know uh, those glasses of how they would handle that situation that's yeah. interesting yeah they had a tough time obviously you know i mean imagine being like 31 with a newborn and having to mm-hmm. just drop everything you've ever worked for and leave your home and never see it again and like start life over in a totally new country where you don't even know the language really yeah. you know it's very difficult but you know they made it out and not only that they blossomed they flourished they were able Mm -hmm. to exceed expectations um you know with everything and you know they're my heroes i love them yeah so much that's awesome yeah that's awesome i'm glad they're proud of what you're doing now because it's badass i hadn't heard of you guys until uh lisa had sent me the the press release from big castle and uh I put it on it at, at the job site where I was at and I was just like, this is fucking rat. Like, yes, I will absolutely, I will absolutely talk to these people because this <laughs> is great. Anyway. So like the, I was turned on to it from, from her, which happens all the time. Like stuff I've never heard of comes across my thing. And I'm like, this is fucking awesome. And I start digging through it and going back through things and, and, and trying to find out more and find more music. And, and I mean, you guys have a fucking awesome sound Thank and it's, you. it's, 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 there's not a ton out there to watch like YouTube content, to watch like there's some live stuff and things like that, but there's not a whole, I I didn't know a whole lot about you coming into this, which I kind of like. I usually don't do a whole lot of research when I do these because I like to just have a conversation. But the the music is insane. I love it. Thank you. It's really good. So how how did all this, is is Kills Birds one of your first bands? Yes, I mean, I had a short-lived band in New York called Yeah, Well, Whatever, which lasted like six months, you mm-hmm. know, and then um, it is, it's not the first project for, for Jacob, Fielder, or Bosch, mm-hmm. um, but it really kind of started as like a secret project that Jacob Loeb, the guitarist, and I would, would do. We would get together and write these like parody disco songs or... Uh, um, R&B songs, yeah. you know, whichever. And they were actually really good and funny, but we, would, we never thought we'd ever show anybody. But then we got together one day and decided that we were going to try to write a serious song. And that song became High, which is on our first mm-hmm. record. And then 
we kind of put it down. We didn't really do anything with it until about a year later when we got Bosch and Fielder together and okay. thought about maybe trying to play a show, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, and now we're here. Yeah. Wow. Why was it secret? Why was I saw that listed online as well that it was a secret project in the press release, but. Why was it secret? Or was that just a way of saying, like, you weren't just putting it out there, like, you were just practicing and, and doing your thing without, like, promoting it at all? We don't, I don't think we ever had any any plans to really make music or release music or do it, like, as a thing. You mm-hmm. know, it was just, like, a, a creative outlet for us. Like, we were both frustrated in our respective careers and feeling kind of isolated and, you know, annoyed with, you know, certain parts of just you know that come with just living in LA mm-hmm. that we like started getting together and you know finding some solace in this work that we were we were creating and then ultimately that became something we never anticipated or thought it was ever going to be anything so mm-hmm. like even me being here right now talking to you is very strange to me like it's all very strange <laughs> still so yeah so a couple things there. You said New York and then you said L.A. So like you lived in New York for a while? I lived in New York for four years. Yeah. College? Yeah. Where'd you go to college? NYU. NYU. For film? I started off actually in the acting program. Okay. And then I left the acting program and I got the rest of my degree in film. Yeah. Okay. Have you have you done much film work? Or yeah, I directed to- a feature film. Um, what the fuck are you talking about here? I... How did I not know any of this? Uh, I've lived many lives. I got lives. like a paragraph <laughs> press release, I guess. And then I started looking at stuff and I was, I, I, I a feature film. Yeah. Um, Who's yeah. in this? Uh, Lakeith Stanfield, um, Thomas Mann, uh, Sam Dillon, uh, Miles Heiser. And then there's a cameo by uh, James Franco in it as well. James Franco, really? Um, yeah, he produced it. He produced the film. Okay. What's it called? Memoria. Memoria. It's out now? Yeah, like it came out watch years it ago. Yeah. I think it has like I 100% so... on Rotten Tomatoes, but 5 out of 10 on IMDb. So <laughs> <laughs> it's up to you. <laughs> well, how, how did you get into that? How did that happen? Uh, I started making films because I wasn't really interested in acting anymore. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, James Franco's production company approached me about adapting a screenplay into a, into a feature film. Adapting a, his book of short stories into a feature yeah. film. And I did that. I wrote the screenplay, me and my friend Vladimir DeFontene. We worked on it together. How yeah. did they find you, though? How did how did this production company find you? We started collaborating the year before on an off-Broadway play that I was in. With you and James? Yeah. Okay. That I. So you were like full on, you were in the acting game pretty seriously for, for a little while there then. Kind of. For the first two years that I was in America, I was like yeah. taking it really seriously. And then like I kind of lost interest in it. Um, mm-hmm. Was there something specific that that took it away from you? Like as far as losing interest? Or just I just go realized back I didn't to, love it enough to like be willing to go to shit auditions and do voice mm-hmm. acting and extra work for the rest of my life. I was like, I don't love it that much. Like, I don't care about it that much. And okay. you have to really love it that much to be able to do that. Because yeah. otherwise, like you know get out you know so yeah it's such a weird I, I've, I've never done any acting or film work or anything else but just getting rejected all the time is hard on any level but when your career kind of hinges on what people just have to like you to yeah put you into something and just like that it just seems like a crazy mind fuck to try to stay afloat with your sanity you know like 
it's a weird thing, it seems like, from the outside looking in. But. Well, from a director perspective, because, you know, obviously I ended up directing a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it has so little to do with your actual talent. When you mm -hmm. go in for an audition, you could be the best actor in the world, but if you don't look a certain way, they're mm -hmm. just not going to pick you. And that's yeah. what's so unfortunate about that industry is that it's, like, so shallow. Um, yeah. That it really comes down to, like, who you are, and if you are not what they want. Mm-hmm then there's just no way you're going to get it, you know? Yeah. You can't change or get better, you know? You're selling yourself, so. Sure, sure. With directing, though, like, do you like that a lot better than the acting side? Or do you, is that going to be something that goes, you know, here and there, possibly? Or is it something you're going to really go for? Like, Well, I haven't acted in years. Yeah, but, but um, the directing, like, is that something that still you still have a fire for? Yeah, I do, actually. I direct a lot of music videos. Um, I just did a video for Phoebe Bridgers. Um I did a video for Alexander Savior, who's from Portland, mm -hmm. that came out end of last year. Wallows. Um, I've directed like a behind the scenes documentary for Kieran J. Callanan. He's an amazing artist mm -hmm. and a really good friend of mine. Um, so I still do a lot of that kind of work. Wow. You're fascinating. This is so, I, this is crazy. <laughs> like this is like an onion that just keeps peeling. Like it's 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 incredible. So but music, you music is your thing like music is what you feel you want to do like at this moment most or is that just what you're doing right now music is what i want to do most with the boys yeah like that's my thing it's like with them like this is such a great joy mm -hmm. and i love it so much you know like when we get into a room we write you know when we're on tour, when we're sitting in the van, when we're doing all of these things like that to me is what I want to do this. Mm -hmm. Like the reasons why I do this. Um, yeah. So I love when, it. Yeah. When you're on stage, I mean, how, how present are you on stage? Do you kind of just let things take over? Like let the music take over? Or are you really present? Like, you know, some people have a lot of muscle memory. Some people just kind of, that's their time to be a hundred percent themselves. You know, uh, whenever we were on stage like for me it was it was work for some of it some of it was really like expressive and 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 i got a lot out of it but when i started as a being a, just a touring musician then it was like work but i still got that that high from being on stage and people being into it but for you i mean you're playing what you created you know it's a different different ball game so when i asked i like like muscle memory uh, like do you lose yourself on stage like do you go to places that you can't normally go to. I mean, I've never seen you. I haven't seen you live yet. So like, that's Are you the seeing thing. Us tonight? So I'm going to try to. Yes. I'm on. I'm, I think Lisa put me on the list. Oh, great. But I, I have to leave and come back. Oh, okay. But, uh, cause I literally came here from work. I still have to go home and, and see the kids and whatnot. Gotcha. But I was like, man, you know, I'm coming there. I'll be there for this. So, um, but yeah, like what is, what is stage like for you? Is, is it, is it a happy place? Is it a sad place? I mean, it, I'm asking 17 different questions here. But <clears throat> when you're up there for that 40 minutes, half hour, I mean, it, what's it like for you up there as far as what you're going through? Gosh, it changes every day. Um, it really depends on how I feel at the time, you know, if... if uh, and different songs hit me in different ways depending on what the subject matter is about but it's a lot of introspective time on stage i spend a lot of time like thinking about exactly what i'm singing you know and getting in touch with 
you know how I feel behind those lyrics. I don't know why. It's I, yeah. you know, I'm never trying to to do anything. Yesterday in Seattle, some lady was like, oh, my God, like you roll your eyes at the back of your head when you sing. Do you know that you do that? You look crazy. And I was like, I was like, no, I don't know. Like, I guess to simplify it, I think when I go on stage to perform, I think that's the only time where I feel like I can be comfortable with myself. Okay. Like just embrace everything that I'm feeling all of my fears and insecurities that's when all of that comes out my mm -hmm. insecurities what I'm afraid of what I hate about myself what I hate about you know what's happening in my life the, the people that I miss the people that I love the mm -hmm. things that have like broken my heart and the things that piss me off and the things that make me laugh it all comes out then and so that's why I, I don't know ever what happens sometimes I'll play shows where I don't feel anything and then other times like I'm just crying <laughs> you know I don't know yeah. really yeah. do you notice a difference in your performance on those nights tonight like do you think the show comes across the same to the audience as it would on a night when you're really feeling it as far as um, you know when a performance where you're feeling nothing per se like you're just kind of dead behind the eyes and just performing or a performance where you're crying and going you know everything's going on in your mind do you feel like the output's the same yeah because when i say i feel nothing it's a sort of like stoicism mm -hmm. you know that's you know almost like i'm i'm feeling nothing because i'm settled in everything that i'm feeling and i don't need to expel it in a certain way got you okay but it'll never lose it never loses intensity i think because naturally i'm quite an intense person when i need to say something yeah but i don't know if the audience notices the difference you know the same way i do mm -hmm. i don't know um i think it's different every time so i don't yeah. think yeah well how so take it to the other level so What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working as most people are online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP. 
slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. It is now 2024, and the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts, or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast for the first time in your miserable life? I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going strong. 11 years now the podcast about nothing your favorite podcast's favorite podcast do you enjoy nothing (laughs) so do we why don't you come over and check it out and stop listening to other podcasts thank you I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, Tier 2 and Tier 3. Tier 1 is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier 2 gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier 3 is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable 
part of your month because I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. You talk about, you know, all these things that, the, that what you're feeling and, and things you've been through and things like that on stage when you're getting introspective, how does that translate to when you're writing the music, writing the lyrics? Do you need to be uh, inspired or, or, or switched on by one of those events to write music and sit down and write lyrics or sit down? I mean, do you play music? Do you play musical instruments too? Yeah. Okay, so you write some of the songs on guitar or... No, actually, uh, well, the way we work usually is uh, Jacob and I will get together and mm -hmm. Jacob writes all of the guitar instrumentation okay and i'll write the lyrics and the vocal melodies and we collaborate that way okay that's when we're not working with the whole band together yeah. you know when we're working all together we're all responsible for our own parts sure um but usually when i'm writing which i write every day um, okay that's that's what i'm getting at like you you write every day that's like a that's the best thing you can do i think is a writer of any kind it's just write every day but so you don't necessarily have to be inspired by something or or be particularly into uh one headspace to to write but when you get on stage you can feel those lyrics and tie them to other things am i getting that right yeah yeah i think like you know the just because i wrote a song about subject a doesn't mm -hmm. mean it can't translate to subject b when i'm feeling subject b more mm -hmm. you know um I think those things transform as you experience different things as a writer. Um, I feel that I'm always inspired to write something, mm -hmm. you know, and it might be the shittiest song I've ever written or the best song I've ever written, but there's always, I'm always trying to formulate my thoughts and understand the things that I'm feeling. It's, it can be very tiring. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, yeah. Sure. I think it comes across. I mean, you guys have such a raw sound. Like, did I was looking at something that said you guys recorded that record really fast, like in hours. Yeah, eight, eight hours. hours. Yeah. And it sounds so great. Oh, like, it's so raw. I mean, it's, it's raw. The way it should sound, you know? <laughs> that makes you think, why can't, why can't other bands do the same thing? I think they could. I think they're scared, you know? Um. Do you know uh, of the band Sparta? No. Uh, or At The Drive-In? Yes. Okay, so Jim from At The Drive-In's band is called Sparta, and they got back together and recorded an album. They did it in like four days or something like that, which was like a big undertaking. But to think of doing it in eight hours, and I've recorded records, like I, I would love to do something like that, but it wouldn't come out as good as yours did, I don't think. Was that, <laughs> I mean, it seems like that's the right thing. Like it was just all there all out so did you just everyone hit it hard got all your good takes and then maybe overdub some vocals here and there and maybe a couple guitars and that was it fuck sakes <laughs> yeah that was it yeah tell me about that tell me about that process like were you guys was it planned to be that way like yeah. we're gonna just fucking do this yeah justin raisin had that idea because he heard us like he saw us play live and he was like i just need to record the way you guys sound live mm -hmm. on an album 
So he just like mic'd it all up and we just went in and we just ran the album a few times and that's pretty much how that went yeah and then mixed it and everything so like was there some anxiety there to like fuck we gotta nail this or was it no it seemed so free it was our stakes were really uh we were really you know modest that like wait how do i say that the right we're grounded in the Mm -hmm. recording of that album we never thought like oh this is the album that's gonna do this or we need to make this perfect yeah we as a band in the short time that we had been together have gone through so much you know in our formation that doing an album in eight hours seems to be such a freeing opportunity that there was no reason for any of us to worry you know and that made that whole recording process fun and easy. And ultimately, I think it's what like helped capture that sound mm-hmm. uh, that we have on the record. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's how bands used to do it. Like just get in the room and hash it out. You know, like like Black Flag, for for instance. Like that's where that ferocity comes from. Is just hitting it right there. Like Henry Rollins has talked about. You know, hearing it. There's a part in in uh, uh, My War where you can hear the vending machine in the lobby turn on because he was recording the vocals in the lobby on a couch jumping up and down. <laughs> like the little things like that, like they were just in there and they just left in there because I was like, fuck, we gotta be done with this. Like we gotta be on the road tomorrow. Like, yeah, I love that. It's crazy. Yeah. So do you guys churn out a lot of songs, like a lot of a lot of uh, material or does it take a little while to? Well, we write songs really quickly. You do, okay. But, uh, but not can... all the time. Not all the time. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, right now we're <laughs> working on our second record, which we started writing like December. Okay. So four months ago, mm-hmm. we already kind of pretty much have most of the record written okay, uh, and ready to record in May. Mm-hmm. We're going into Studio 606 on May 1st For eight to record. Hours? A week. How much time? A week. This could be dangerous. <laughs> it could go both ways. I mean, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. I mean, yeah. I'm definitely not going to know what to do with myself for a week, but, you know, I've never had that kind of time in a studio, but mm-hmm. we're excited. Yeah. Just to just enjoy every second of it. Yeah. It seems like the best time it was just creating. And even though you have something tangible written, done, like putting it down to tape is is there's something magical about it. Like I always love that part of, of music was recording it, you know, and, and making everything, you know, getting it all documented. Same thing with the show, like it's documenting things. It's, it's something I've always loved doing. But uh, some people absolutely hate it being in the studio. They want to just get out there and play. Oh, yeah. I think that there's a joy in everything, especially working with, you know, Jacob, Bosch and Fielder. And we're, mm-hmm. we're working with Justin Raisin again on this next record as well. OK. So, um, yeah, I love watching my bandmates work. I love watching Justin work. I think that. I don't know, it's very rare that you find a group of people that like understand you mm-hmm. and that you understand them. It's very, very rare. Uh, I've gone through so many situations where that is not the case mm-hmm. in both like filmmaking and music. And yeah, I'm really lucky. So I, I, I have like, you know, I believe that our next record is going to be a, an incredible experience no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever happens when it comes out happens. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to say. That's a good way to look at of looking at things, you know. Uh, yeah, you seem like you just you really know who you are, you know. Like you, I, it's what I gather just from chatting for the short amount of time, you know. Like you know, 
what you want. You know who you are. You know, you've been through some shit and you're handling it, but you you seem to have a really clear sense of where you're going. You know, I don't know if that's if that's wrong, but that, that's the, what the vision I'm getting is, you know. No, you know what I have to say? Like, I think like you might be onto something. I never really thought about whether I know myself, but I think I do. And I think in order to know yourself, you have to spend a lot of time going through shit mm -hmm. and then sitting by yourself and being like, OK, I just went through some shit. What do I do and what do I want next? Talking to yourself a mm -hmm. lot. Something that my dad taught me because my dad never really had a lot of friends growing up and never really had anybody, you know, and he always said that. You know, the best thing that he could do for himself was to talk to himself out loud as if he's mm -hmm. like a friend talking to himself yeah. to figure out the problems that are going on in his life. And I think I, I hope that I inherited that from him. I'm only 28. I might realize in five years that I know fuck all about myself. <laughs> but for now, I think I'm pretty <laughs> steady. <laughs> well, that's kind of what you're doing with music. Talking to yourself. I mean, you write these songs. You're kind yeah. of doing it on stage in front of people. Yeah, pretty much. But you're, I mean, in some of those nights, you're talking to yourself. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Last, yeah, last night I was, last night I was trying my, trying to tell myself not to be so hard on myself when I was on stage. There's always like something that you're frustrated with. Not to be so hard on yourself? Like, do you beat yourself up? I mean. But... Yeah, I think there's like a sense of, uh, um, I don't know if it's like an immigrant mentality or, you know, my parents never put that pressure on me, but you grow up and you see this shit that your family went through. You mm -hmm. see what the world is going through, the sacrifices people have to make. I see how my parents risked their lives. My dad in particular risked his life, like mm -hmm. pointed a gun at his superior officer in the Bosnian military so that he could call my mom and tell her to take me and escape. After that, he was a persona non grata. They were going to take his papers away. He was going to get killed, essentially, yeah. you know. What the fuck? He managed to escape on a helicopter, find my mom and me, and take us to Canada. I see what he went through. I see, you know, that weight in, in who he is and the weight in who my mom is, mm -hmm. you know. And inherently... I want to make it so that it was worth it for them. You know, I want to show them how much love I have for them and gratitude I have for them. And I think that comes out in being hard on myself because I really look up to them. And sometimes I can't believe what they went through just to provide me with a chance. Mm -hmm. To maybe be something, not even just to make me be something or to give me what I, you know, but just to like open the door a little bit so that maybe I could have the sense to try to make it somewhere on my own. Mm -hmm. We never had means. We came to Canada so poor that my dad was walking around the street looking for toonies that he could maybe take so he could maybe buy some food for the night. You know, that was the first five years of my life. My dad, you know, being a Muslim soldier in the army, watching people getting 
killed in Bosnia for being Muslims. Like there was that massive genocide over there. Watching Sarajevo, a city that we lived in, being blown up. Like I'm seeing them living that, and I and I struggle to understand that still because that requires so much sacrifice and so much love for from them to me that I I feel that weight everywhere I go. And I feel that weight like when I perform on stage and I feel it right now when I'm talking to you and I feel it everywhere I go and it's it's a it's a weight that I'm grateful for but you know it also builds me as an artist I guess yeah so that's the most intense thing I've ever heard <laughs> I'm not I mean I'm not even talking with you like that I, I thank you for sharing that that is I mean the sentiment there is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard but the but the that you know what he did to give you a chance you know it's it's a beautiful thing like it's it's amazing but the th and it's just a crazy thing to even think about that that even had to happen you know that's fucking nuts and and that i felt though as you're telling me that like my chest just got heavy like my eyes started swelling up like uh, yeah that blows my mind and I understand why you have that weight and why I understand why you have it. I don't understand anything, what it would feel like to carry it. And I wouldn't even try to, it would be insulting to, to even try to, to, uh, to you, to, to try. But what do you think, I'm trying to think how to word this the right way. What do you think it would take for you to let that weight go and feel that you have made him proud, that it was worth it and be able to not move past it but move forward without that, you know, know like, okay, I've done, I've done, you know, enough to make my dad know that it, what he did was worth it. And now I can move forward and just build on that. You know what I mean? Instead of, maybe you never will, but do you, have you thought about that? Like, what would it take in your eyes to make it worth it for him? Or, you know what I mean? Or to make him feel, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to say this in a way that's not, because I don't understand, I don't, I don't know that weight that you're carrying. Yeah, you know, my parents are extremely proud of me. But for me, my biggest joy would be to give them the peace and relaxation that they deserve. Mm -hmm. You know, they've spent so much of their lives, like, fighting for me and then fighting for me and my brother, fighting for themselves, helping other people. They're mm -hmm. so helpful to other people. It's actually insane. I don't get it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to get to a place where I could just like get them to like relax and enjoy their lives mm -hmm. and like have the, you know, the reward of, you know, all of their hard work um, and and peace and health. I, I, I want that for them more than anything. Like I, that's what I want. I want to get to a point where I can give them that. And, yeah. and then I think like once, once they have that, then they're taken care of and then I can focus on mm -hmm. whatever else is left in my life, you know? Sure. Sure. But I mean, they're, they've got, I mean, gotta be so proud of what you're doing. I mean, you're doing what you want to do. And yeah. you're making, I mean, you're, you're here now doing what you want to do tomorrow. You're going to be somewhere else doing what you want to do. You know, that's gotta be the ultimate. I mean, you're not working at target, you know, you're not, and not, there's anything wrong. If that's what you want to do, go for it, you know, but you're creating things, you're contributing to the, the world. 
as a whole. You're contributing to art. You're contributing to, you're inspiring people just as you were inspired. I mean, you're giving back, you know? That's gotta make them feel fucking fantastic because it's the same thing. They gave you everything they had. Now you're inspiring other people, you know? People are coming to, paying money to watch you do something on a stage, you know? It's yeah. crazy to think about. If you think about it, literally, <laughs> it's fucking crazy. And it's a huge success. You it's know? True. It's yeah. It's a beautiful thing. And, you know, I mean, have you taught, I'm mean, sure you've had lots of talks with your father about the situation and what he did and what he had to do to go against his, in the military, for one, anywhere, in any country, even in America, if you did something like that most terrifying thing in the world to try to balk against something like that in that time for one but anywhere in the world that's like the I can't even imagine but you have that fire in you it seems like the same the same way maybe not on that extreme level because you're not in that situation but I would dare to say if you were in that situation you may possibly do the same thing you know and that should make him proud you know, actually, I, I had a I had a conversation with my dad about it because I asked him, like, how were you able to do that? Mm -hmm. To just put your life on the line, take your gun out and they say shot that him right there. Yeah. And my dad said something that I think rings true to the immigration situation right now in our own mm -hmm. country. And he said he's like, he's like, it's not hard to do that. It's not when you have a kid. You'll do anything to protect your child. Those parents that are trying to get their kids out of those countries in Central America, you know, in an effort to have a better life in America, that's not a fucking easy thing to do. That takes so much bravery and courage and selflessness mm -hmm. that it's absolutely reprehensible and disgusting that those kids now have to go and sit in these cells and wait for parents to never come back. It's the most, most tragic thing that these parents put their fucking lives on the line for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing my dad said. It's like, it's fucking easy when you have somebody that cares about you. It's the world that makes it difficult, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's never going to say that he's a brave man, my dad. He's always going to say that it could have been anybody else. You know, he's never going to say that, um, which is, again, another reason why I love my parents so much, mm -hmm. because, like, they're never going to sell themselves. Yeah. They're never going to try to give themselves more credit than they think that they deserve, you know? And, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just real. You get the real deal. I mean, it's, it's life. Um, it, yeah. Oh, my God. That's absolutely, that's most one of the most intense things I've ever heard. I mean, <laughs> thank you for sharing that. That's, no. I mean, that's not an easy thing to share, I'm sure, too, you know, especially as someone you've never met. And, uh, you know, on that goes out to the world, you know, it's, I, I appreciate that very much. You know, no, I, I take it seriously because that's, uh, yeah. Thank you. I can't, I can't even imagine. And like I say, I won't try to either because, I mean, but what you're doing now is, is, it's something incredible like it's 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 really good and the fact that you're doing what you want to do and, and expressing yourself you know and you're in a place where you technically can you know um i can't i can't uh I, yeah i'm at a loss for words right now I, that hit me hard like that was wow 
I mean, your your parents sound like incredible people, you know, and uh, I mean, you're very lucky to have that, you know, and, and have that, that foundation, you know, um, and to be such a creative person, too, I mean, and, and showcasing that. It's killer, you Thank know? You, yeah. Are you, are you uh, let me ask you this, are your parents creative people as well? I mean, I know they did to do what they had to do and, and, you know, be where they had to be, but if they had the chance, if they are creative, do you think they would have taken it to where you're taking it? I think if my dad had a chance, he probably would have been a writer. Okay. Um, and my mom was always very good at uh, reciting. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them are very sensitive people. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where it might come from. But, you know, I think ultimately, like, you know, they never had the freedom as kids growing up to, like, pursue those yeah, seedlings. Yeah. But they always gave me that, you know. So... They're living through you right now, probably at this point. Oh, I don't know. You know. I don't know. I th- I I can tell you one thing though. My dad is extremely excited. He goes around like showing everybody kills birds songs. Uh-huh. He's like so <laughs> stoked on us. He like posts Facebook <laughs> updates really? on us on a daily basis. He's so happy all the time. He's like always just like asking me how we're doing yeah. and like he's our number one fan. <laughs> wow, that's he, awesome. <laughs> when our first single came out. He like put it on Spotify, so it'd repeat over and over again. And he like he kept his computer on for five days just to see if the numbers <laughs> would go up. He's like, "Let me do what I can to help you," you know. Oh <laughs> my so god, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> He's so cute. I'm gonna ask. Him I have to meet this man. That's incredible. Hey, yeah. He needs to put his story out there. I know. I know. Or at least write it down. Write it. You know. Yeah, he needs to. Yeah, he can do it better than I can. That's for sure. Would you ever consider doing a documentary on your family or your father? I did one last year, actually. I did one. I did like a short one about my dad. I don't know when it's going to come out though, because it's owned by Refinery Twenty Nine. So. Okay. Uh, You'll have to hit me up when that does, because I would love to watch that. Yeah, you can meet him. He's very personable in the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. I yeah, people like that, like with such a huge story you wouldn't even imagine like people that but know your dad but maybe just know him through whatever have, have no idea what he went through to get over here you no know? And not what at he all went through and it, uh, yeah it's absolutely crazy absolutely crazy so what is what is so you guys are going to go in and record another record what else then we talked about what happened a couple hours ago already before we started recording which we probably won't talk about because it's probably not <laughs> common knowledge yet but um that being said, what's next for you after that, after you record that record? I mean, you guys can do more touring. You take some time to, I mean, what's next? More touring. Um, on April 8th, we're opening up for Idols in San Francisco. Okay. And then we're recording our album, and then we're going to go to Paris and play a show, and then more touring. Just Paris for one show? Well, we might do a European tour around it. The problem is, is that we were kind of hoping it would happen around mm-hmm. South by, but mm-hmm. now that that's changed, we're not really sure what's going to okay. happen. Everything's kind of up in the air. That's yeah. the way to do it is you get a, a nice big show in one spot and utilize that and do a tour and change your ticket and let them pay for it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what we did. That, that worked really well. But yeah. Anyway. Well, Nina, thank you so much yeah, thank for coming you. on and, and I don't want to keep you much. Like you got stuff to do, but I mean, sharing so much. I mean, I really, like I said, I don't take that lightly. I really appreciate that. That was really a special thing. And, and uh, yeah, I'll probably be sitting with that for a while. Like, that hit um, me hard. Like, that's a 
huge, huge thing. But also, I mean, congratulations on everything you're doing. The music's fantastic. Uh, hopefully everyone that's listening will, will go check it out. Um, Kills Birds. I mean, it's, yeah. I saw some, I saw Haley Williams from Paramore talking about Kills Birds. Yeah, she did. She gave us a shout out. Yeah. 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 We did Warp Tour with her a long time ago, back when Paramore was tiny. And then, yeah, then everything else happened and now they're massive but stuff like that's cool yeah you know like right? I mean, it, it could be anybody saying it but i mean it's cool to to have some acknowledgement from someone who's been through it and stuff as well so um yeah but yeah congratulations on all you're doing and thank you for for taking the time with yeah me, you thank know? you and, so much and for shout out to lisa me. that was awesome for setting that up and thank yeah, you i appreciate it thank you awesome. thank you thank you all right guys i hope you enjoyed that conversation with nina from kills birds what an incredible person um, I apologize for the audio. We did it, you know, in a crowded bar at the Doug Fur. Uh, had a quiet spot, which quickly became a not quiet spot, but we were already into it. And uh, yeah, just had to sit super close and uh, make the best of it. So hopefully you guys got a lot out of that conversation like I did. I was super inspired and, and uh, humbled by the end of that conversation and just an amazing story. And that band is incredible. You need to go check out Kills Birds. I know everyone missed them at South by Southwest because it got canceled. But nonetheless, that band is a force to be reckoned with, and they will be uh, a force to be reckoned with when shows start happening again. So, uh, yeah, man, just a just a whirlwind of a couple weeks. But there's good stuff on the horizon. Um, we're always looking forward, pushing on. That's the best you can do until your heart stops. You know what I'm saying? So, Yeah. If you're out there listening, fight the good fight. You know, push through it. If you're out rod busting, if you're out uh, mowing your lawn, if you're if you're driving in your car, I mean, just I hope you got something from spending this hour and hour and so on time with me, and um, I hope you always do. So, anyways, if you're listening to this 100 years from now, hopefully shit is back to normal or or as fucking crazy as it can. Maybe you're listening to this on some ESP device with no no earbuds, and those are a thing of the past, but. Anyways, uh, I love each and every one of you guys. I can't say it enough. Um, just know that very much. Uh, Dewey loves you wherever you're at, uh, whatever you're doing. Uh, thank you for listening to this show. And uh, like I said, big things on the horizon. Uh, Going to drop a couple more episodes, I think, this weekend. Uh, working through my backlog, trying to get it all out there. And uh, as always, guys, we'll see you on the radio.
One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.